is the Business of Reselling podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Oman. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode 11 of the Business of Reselling podcast. Okay, so I've been doing this uh, series of episodes about sourcing for the past like four weeks or so. And I'm going to continue those. Um, but just because of uh, eBay opens uh, networking session that I hosted last Friday, where I shared some tips about taking your collectibles business from six figures and beyond. Um, there were lots of people there, hundreds, in fact, and a lot of people have asked for the slides or they've asked for me to recap certain um, tips and some of the things that I discussed. I just thought, you know, this would be a good episode for this week is to just sort of go over that content again. Uh, so that's what I'm going to do today. And then next week, I'm going to get back to the um, series on sourcing because I still have a lot to say on that topic. So uh, this is also my first video podcast. And so you're going to be able to see my face on this one. Normally, I just do audio, but uh, I thought this would be nice. And this way, I can show you the slides at the same time. All right, so a quick presentation on successful six-figure selling, collectibles, and beyond. All right, well, you guys already know a little bit about me, but um, in case you don't, or maybe this is just your first time checking out uh, my Business of Reselling podcast, I've been an entrepreneur for about 12 years in, re in the reselling er uh, area since 2012. I used to be a business consultant for startups, helping them get funding, and um, I was also a university professor at the University of British Columbia for five years. Um, our company, Storage Warrior, which you can see the website there in the corner, was eBay Canada's micro multinational entrepreneur of the year in 2019. And we were also recognized in 2020 for eBay Canada's Seller Hall of Fame. So um, we've done fairly well in our business. We're up to that multiple six-figure point. And of course, if you're listening to the podcast, you already know that uh, I'm sort of exploring the journey of getting to a million dollars in sales while hopefully teaching some of you to scale your businesses up as well. All right, let's get right into the content. So I have six of these tips. Now, I can't give you everything that you need to know about um, scaling up your business in just like a half an hour presentation, but I'm going to do what I can. And I think this will give you a lot of food for thought um, on how you might scale up your own business. And then in future episodes, I can always take these tips and create whole episodes on them as well. So the I have six tips. I'll just go over what they are quickly, and then I'll move right into um, detail on each one of them. So the first one is to raise your average selling price. That's what that uh, acronym means, ASP is average selling price. I'm going to talk about how to put a value on your time to make sure you are getting paid fairly in your reselling business. Remember, it's important to pay yourself. Otherwise, you just have a hobby. You don't have a business. You also need to build systems and processes and document those so that by the time you're ready to hire other people to help you, they're more easily able to take over the the uh, typical tasks that your business performs each day. You'll also need to source better stuff. And of course, lots of my series on sourcing is about how to source better stuff. So I'll define what that means and give you a few ideas on how to get started with it. Number five is to get help. That thing you do once you've built the systems that you can transfer onto other people, you will not be able to scale up your business to multiple six figures by yourself. Most likely you will need some uh, a team to assist you. And the sixth, of course, is not to fear failure. This is a scary thing, growing a business to uh, multiple six figures and beyond, and you won't get it all right. And so I want you to get into that mind frame of learning from your mistakes. So let's get right into 
Item number one, raising your average selling price. So that's my average selling price as of, let's see, September 22nd, I believe, 2022. It's a little bit lower than I'd like it to be, but we always hover around $65. So I'm generally satisfied with this number. I know that it keeps our business profitable. Now, to calculate your own average selling price, you just take your total revenue in any period, whether that's one month, week, year, or whatever you want to measure, divided by the number of orders you get in that same period. You can also, if you're selling on eBay, go to the uh, Seller Hub and then Performance tab, click on Sales, and it will give you your average selling price there. So this is ours. Um, if yours is lower than this, it doesn't mean you're doing badly. If yours is higher than this, great. But if you're frustrated and you feel like you're working too hard and getting minimal results in your business, check what your average selling price is. Because the process of picking, packing, shipping, and making shipping labels for an order doesn't change a whole lot based on the value of the order. Yes, sometimes you have a more fragile thing to package. It might take you a little bit longer. But generally, those processes take about the same amount of time per package. Wouldn't you rather sell 10 $100 items and have to make 10 packages? or sell $110 items and have to make 100 packages. When you think about your profit margin on selling all of those $10 items and factor in the amount of time it takes to pick, pack, to photograph, to list, to do all the things you need to do to sell that item, you don't really have much money left, which is why you want to raise your average selling price to ensure that on average, you're making a fair profit per item. Now more listings at higher prices will increase your revenue. Um, but just arbitrarily making your prices higher, of course, isn't going to help you. You have to make sure that you can actually command those higher prices and the things you're selling are worth it. And that's part of selling better stuff, which is item number four. So um, you could raise prices on items you've already listed if you want to sort of try out it, raising your average selling price and see if you are um, see if you're competing with other sellers of the same items based on price alone. If you are, then you're in kind of a race to the bottom when it comes to pricing, and you don't wanna be there. You wanna offer a really good customer experience and have fair policies so that you can command a slightly higher price for similar items and still get sales. Um, eBay might suggest to price the lowest. I would disagree, especially if you're in the collectibles area. Um, because collectibles are collectible for a reason, and rarer ones are worth more money to buyers. You're scratching their collector itch. Remember, you're creating desire. They really want your item, and they're willing to pay for it. But of course, you have to be selling the right things. The second tip is to put a value on your time. So what are you worth? What are you worth per hour, per day, per month? If you had a job before this, or maybe you still have a job and you're thinking about quitting it, what do you make per hour? double it. What do you make per month? Double it. You need to be earning at least twice as much uh, gross as you are in your current job. Your expenses in your business are going to be higher than they are in your job. You will definitely be working more hours as you try to grow your business. And you're also doing just about everything. You're everything from the sourcing person to the marketing person, the salesperson, the customer service person. So you have much more responsibility in your business than in your job, and that should command more pay. That's just how it works. So you can decide, do you want to pay yourself a flat rate? Do you want to decide, okay, I want to try and do tasks that generate, you know, $50 an hour in revenue or $150 an hour in revenue um, so that your profit is $25 or $50 an hour? Or do you want to pay yourself a percentage of your sales 
um, and take that as your as your take home pay instead. Now, there's a guy named Mike Michalowicz who has a book called Profit First. If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend that you do, where he talks about taking a percentage of the gross revenue that your business creates and paying yourself with that before you have paid any other expenses in your business, because you must be able to afford to pay yourself. Otherwise, you don't have a business. So it's very important that you're getting paid fairly for what you do. So the third tip is to build systems. So systems allow you to get more done faster in your business. When you have a system, a replicable process that you can use over and over again, you will eventually become more efficient and the people who work for you can also work on their own efficiencies. Building systems makes sure your business can run without you. If you get sick or you get hit by a bus, something happens to you, somebody else can take over at least the minimal processes to ensure that your business continues to run while you get better. And having these systems in place also creates more time for the things you love so that you can actually take time away from your business sometimes and have it still run at least minimally while you're not in it. So think about the key operational tasks that your business has. You might have sourcing, organizing and sorting inventory, taking photos, listing those items, picking orders, packaging orders, and making shipping labels. So those are just some of the key operational tasks that make your e-commerce business successful. But many of these things can be systematized because you do them pretty much the same way every time. So as you do these things, because you do them already in your business every day, just open a Google document or keep some kind of document and begin to write down step by step the processes that you're using. This starts to create a system. You can refine it, you can change it, you can edit it and revise it over time. And then when you eventually get people into your business to help you, they will have that documentation to assist them in doing their work, and they will be able to build up to your level of efficiency much faster. So this is also a time where you can be thinking about the types of processes that you're maybe not so good at. What are you really slow at? Me personally, I'm pretty slow at packaging, um, so I don't like to do it. So my husband does a lot of it, and when we have local help, uh, they take over a lot of the packaging. Um, this just makes sense for us. We can build up a relatively speedy method of creating those packages. Um, I'm super, super slow at it, so it's not a good use of my time. I'm better at doing things like marketing and sales in the business. So you can, if, if you get staff and you eventually get helpers, allow them to give you input on these systems as well, because when you're kind of in your own head, you don't always necessarily think of every step or every single a piece of a task that needs to be written down, but other people who are trying to do it definitely will see those gaps. So allow them to give you their feedback and make those processes even better. The fourth tip is to source better stuff. So this is a huge animal and everybody of course says you've got to source more valuable things if you want to be truly successful, but it's not like there's a magic wand that you can wave that automatically makes that possible. You do want to look for higher value items. Knowing what those higher value items are is something that takes a lot of research, a lot of knowledge, and a lot of time to build up your uh, ability to find those items and see them. So one of the ways that we've actually learned a lot about uh, what items to source is by buying in bulk, whether that's going to an estate sale and trying to fill up the whole car or clearing out a house that's just been abandoned full of junk, clearing out storage units, or buying large collections from people who are selling a whole bunch of comic books or a whole bunch of diecast cars or whatever it is. Making those bulk purchases allows us to get a lot of items at a very low price. So we might only pay a dollar or two per item. 
This gives us plenty of margin to figure out what the best things are in the collection that we just bought. And then we know what to look for down the road when we're doing more sourcing later. So it's a really cheap way to build your knowledge so that you are more likely to see those higher value items when they find themselves right in front of you. Another thing you wanna do is buy things that sell relatively quickly. So in our business, we have about 6,000 to 6,400 listings at any given time, and we sell 4,500 to 5,000 of those every year. So we're pushing through about 80% of our inventory per year, which I think is not bad, but I do think we could probably do it better and faster. So I'm always working on that. Um, but it's good enough to keep us profitable, and we just know that from the historical performance of our business. You want to buy things that sell quickly and how you learn what sells quickly is by simply checking the ratios of active listings to sold listings on eBay. So find an item, look for how many of items like that are currently available and compare that to the amount that have sold in the last 90 days. Now the ratios can vary depending on what type of item you're selling. So I can't say, oh, four to one is the best ratio or whatever. But it's always nice to see if, say, 100 items are available of something, and in the last 90 days, 100 of them have sold. That tells you that in a 90-day period, all of those items are going to turn over. And that's nice and fast. It's not sitting in your storage area for too long. So a ratio around 1 to 1 is what we like, but we definitely will list things with lower ratios than that. So the fifth one is to get help. And this is such a difficult place. I think it's, I think it's something that a lot of people get stuck on. We are so used to doing everything in our businesses, right? We, we do it all. We know we are the best at finding the things. We are the best at doing the shipping. We know all the nuances. We know where everything is. Um, we kind of know it all by heart. And so most of us are in business either by ourselves or maybe max with one or two other people, often family members and things like that. So you guys kind of get into a rhythm, you know, and you're always doing it. And, and so it can be very difficult to pass responsibilities on to new people. But you have to do it in order to successfully scale. Of course, you heard the phrase, there's no I in team. As annoying of a phrase as that is, it's absolutely true. You won't be able to grow your business beyond a certain point without help. You will eventually cap out because you t won't have the capacity to go any further. So when you finally decide it is time to get somebody to support you in your business, how do you decide what to get them to do? Well, one thing that I recommended for a long time, but I didn't make it up myself, I actually heard it uh, somewhere else in my business journey, is to make a list with three columns. And at the top of one column, you write things I hate doing. The second column, you write things I'm not good at. And the third column, write what I just shouldn't do. And then you start filling out the list. So think of the tasks in your business that you really dislike. So for me, it's making packages. I don't like that at all. What are you just not good at? Well, I happen to also not be very good at packages. I also don't like dealing with the finances. I just want to look at the results. So hiring a bookkeeper was a no-brainer for me. Um, and then think about the tasks that you just shouldn't do. Things that are like really straightforward, very routine tasks, T tasks that would be easy to train somebody else to do so that you can focus on the management of your business and the strategic growth of your business. So start filling out those lists. And from there, you can prioritize 
and try to find somebody who can fulfill some of those tasks that you either don't like, you're not good at, or that you just shouldn't be doing. And you can sort of group them by similar types of skills so that you can hire somebody who might be able to cover off multiple tasks in your list. And then you can decide, is that part-time job? Is that a full-time job? Is that something that can be done remotely? You know, whatever it is, there's lots of different ways to structure um, paying somebody else. But at least you know kind of where to begin and what type of person to look for. And because you've already documented your processes and systems, as in step three, then you already have some documentation ready to give to them to help them slide right into your business and start doing a wonderful job. All right, let's go to the fourth. Not the fourth, the last. Don't fear failure. All right. So I want you to think about your risk tolerance when it comes to growing your business. A lot of us don't scale up our businesses because we're genuinely afraid of taking some of the risks that are required to do it. So for example, hiring somebody costs money and it can be very difficult to pay and increase your expenses in order to get that support, even though you probably know logically that it's going to help you grow it's really hard to suddenly add that large extra expense to your business. Or let's say you would need to grow by getting into a bigger space because your garage is no longer suiting your, your growth or your scale of business. And you need to rent a warehouse or a storage unit or some sort of bigger space. That's going to cost extra money. So it's really hard to sort of take the leap and make those decisions because you're always thinking in the back of your mind, what if it doesn't work out? What if my business fails? What if I spend all this money and I don't actually get the return that I'm looking for on it? So don't fear failure. We have made lots of mistakes in our business and we still do and we still will in the future. We have made mistakes with hiring, hiring people who weren't a good fit for us and then trying to mold them and realizing that it just ultimately wasn't going to work. We have fumbled really valuable items that we didn't realize were really valuable for super low prices. (laughs) We have um, overpriced things that we thought were really valuable and then they just sit there on the shelf and never sell. The thing about failure is it creates these sort of data points. And so I'm going to take uh, this idea from a guy named James Clear. So James Clear uh, writes a a lot about productivity in business and in life. Um, And he's got an article where he talks about his friend who discusses fear like from the perspective of a scientist. So when you test a hypothesis, when a scientist tests a hypothesis, it is possible that they will turn out to be wrong it's actually probable that they will turn out to be wrong. That's how scientists grow and figure out the truth over time. But each of those failures creates a data point. It creates space for learning. It creates um, this this idea or this, this experience that tells the scientists, okay, now I know this, and now I'm better informed to make the next decision. And your business is just like that. When you make a mistake, when you fail at something, you have a data point. It's like, okay, what did I do? What caused that? Uh, Could I have prevented it? What can I do to prevent it from happening again in the future? So taking these kinds of risks, wherever your comfort level is, it teaches you a lot, whether you're successful or not. Um, And some of those failures can actually be really good for your growth because they will help you establish a better foundation um, for scaling up your business. But do know um, and try to understand what your risk tolerance is and what you can afford to lose. I think one of the things, uh, a lot of you might be in the position of having a job and thinking, oh, is it time for me to quit this job? And one thing I would recommend is 
not to put your back up against the wall, especially this being recorded in 2022, and we are very much likely in a recession, um, where if you have a good job, it can be very difficult to let it go and take the leap with something like selling online. So I always tell people, financially, just make sure you're not throwing everything away when you start your e-commerce business. Have six months up to nine months of your living expenses in the bank, and that gives you a really nice timeline for figuring out if this e-commerce thing is going to work for you. Um, so that's one place where I would sort of recommend that you be a little bit less risk tolerant. Once you're in it, once you're doing it, don't be afraid to take some risks, even if they don't work out. As long as you find a way to move forward, you've learned something and your business will be better for it. So that's it. Those are my six tips. And of course, I could take each one of these into a complete podcast episode or even like a day long workshop or something like that, um, or into a course, which I hope to be offering in the future. So if you have questions about this, you can email me at hello at storagewarrior.ca. Please make a comment on this YouTube video and share it with your reseller friends. Hopefully they can learn something from it too. That's it for episode 11. We will see you next week.